Oh, Portland, the time is 5.59. Coming up at 6 o'clock is a show that you're used to hearing in the a.m. Well, guess what? It's being played in the p.m. today. Coming up at 6 o'clock is Art Focus, followed by Stage and Studio, a special evening production of it on this fifth day of our COVID-19 partial station shutdown here at KBOO Community Radio. We really appreciate you tuning in for your cable evening news. And uh, stay tuned now for Art Focus. But first, this from KBU. Did you know that KBU podcasts all our news and talk shows? You can find the podcast on KBU's website, kbu.fm, on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Just search for your favorite show and hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes downloaded to your favorite device. Or search for KBOO on iTunes Google Play to get all the KBOO podcasts. Attention KBOO volunteers, this is an all-hands-on-deck announcement. As of Friday, March 13th at 10 p.m., our station is closed to all volunteer activities. Only staff will be allowed in the building. If you're a program host, we need your help remotely. Even though we're closing the front door for 30 days to reduce the spread of infection, our airwaves still need you. Please pre-record your show and submit your audio to your director. If you have any questions or need assistance, please email staff. Information about KBOO's response to the COVID-19 pandemic is available on our website at kboo.fm slash COVID-19. Thank you for helping to keep our airwaves up to date and engaging for our listeners who need your voice now more than ever. Together, we'll be able to get through this. Oh yeah, and don't forget to wash your hands. That's right. Wash those hands and uh, count to 20, you know, and while you're doing that, Make sure you're listening to Art Focus because it's coming on right now. Andy Hello, you are listening to KBOO Portland. I am guest host Kristen Derryberry with Art Focus. This week, we are talking with Lev Anderson with National's newest show, Who Am I Anyway? The Words of Corolla Penn. The show is up now at National until March 31st. So, hi, Lev. How's it going? Hi there. It's going hey. well. <laughs> yeah. Holding up during this time. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, so... I was able to hop down the show a couple weeks ago, and it got me really excited. Um, so my first question is really out of my own curiosity of how the show came into fruition, and I just want to give you the space to discuss Corolla Penn and her life and your relationship to her. Yeah, so um, Carola is my mother, and... Uh, she moved up here to Portland in 1969. Um, she and my dad met at Berkeley, and when they graduated, they made their way up here. Um, so this is a longtime Portland resident. You know, she she went to PNCA for art school, um, and uh, you know, was just pretty immersed in the local scene here for a long time. And um, you know, I grew up. Me and my sister grew up with her. You know, going to all her studios and art functions and everything else and you know it was a fun way to grow up but uh she uh you know she was she was kind of a prolific painter here in in portland and with a whole wide range of work and um we had uh the way this the show at national happened was um my mother was actually in touch with may before she passed, my mother passed almost a year ago in April last year. Um, and May, I think, was in touch with her about doing something with the Stumptown Artist Fellowship, you know, when they show work at the downtown cafe. And um, she was going to do a studio visit, but then it just got to a point where my mom was too sick to go to the studio. 
um, which was difficult, but she kept painting at home little watercolors in her notebooks and stuff. Um, but um, after my mother passed, a few months later, uh, May came over and did a studio visit, and she was kind of blown away by these pieces that are called like the Second Childhood series that are uh, now on uh, exhibition at National because. Um, you know, she may kind of, there's a lot of stuff on the website, you know, and she was looking at other things, and then these um, second childhood pieces really caught her attention, and they're just these kind of, um, my mom talked about them as kind of ways of working through her childhood memories of, like, growing up in the 50s, you know, her parents were first-generation immigrants, so a lot of it's, a lot of the paintings are kind of around growing up in a family of, you know, first-generation Americans, and then also, um, uh, you know, being a woman, you know, domestic life, what was expected of women professionally, you know, just, you know, growing up as a girl in the 50s, and and so these paintings kind of create this language for her to, I think, address some of these issues. It was really nice to step into the space itself, the new space at National, which is, the lighting is impeccable. and everything I would like for uh, um, you to explain how you chose the pieces specifically kind of a minimalist show and very streamlined and how you decided on doing the layout the curation behind it well that most of that was up to May May the uh, you know the, the owner of National um, she picked. She came and picked out the paintings, and um, and um, wanted to keep them. You know, didn't want to get it too busy because sometimes, like my mother showed some of these paintings once before, and they were, you know, kind of shown in grids of like you know six or nine together, and yeah. some of them are meant to be in grids, not ones that are in this show, but some of them were. You know, there's she had a series of like a grid series called parents come with baggage, you know, and, um, and those are all usually displayed together, but May chose these paintings. I think these are just ones that really spoke to her. And, um, I like the layout. Cause like you said, there's this great natural light there. And I like that you can kind of look at each of these pieces on their own and not kind of be overwhelmed by so many images. You kind of just spoke about this already. Um, the theme of the show, if you wanted to say anything that was left out previously, um, you can talk about the theme, overall theme, um, or the theme of her work that you've noticed. Well, I, I, yeah, well, I think, you know, my mother was a painter first and foremost, so she, you know, she has these paintings that are kind of whimsical and, you know, um, almost cartoony in a way. Um, but then, like, she has other paintings that are just totally abstract and other paintings that are of forest landscapes. Like, she has some forest paintings up at the airport right now. And then um, some other stuff, like her older work, is really kind of dark and kind of these clashing images of urban life and nature and kind of, you know, interior emotionality and getting played out in these kind of um, different ways. and. So the work is all kind of different, but the commonality is, you know, she was really a painter. She loved the textures and colors, and these paintings are just the same, um, but they're kind of of these, you know, there's these um, little Lulu characters. Little Lulu was the character in the red dress with the dark curly hair. It used to be a comic book, like in the 50s and 60s, you know, kind of like a tomboyish kind of you know, rascal character Lulu, right? And so mm-hmm. I think it's my mom reimagining herself kind of as Lulu and, you know, dealing with some of these issues of identity, of being a woman. Um, and sometimes, you know, some of the, you see her like, you know, uh, showing, um, you know, like a, a fairy queen and fairy god grandmother or godmother or whatever, or little Lulu kind of carrying this blonde bride. And like, you know, I know my mom was kind of always, she told me towards the end of her life that she was always kind of jealous of her sister because her sister was blonde and she felt like she got all the attention, Uh you know? Yeah. So 
so these are some of the issues that get kind of worked out, you know, and then also just kind of like women's place in, in society, you know, as caregiver and as magician in a way, like these kind of fairy godmother things are, you know, like they kind of create magic in a way or, 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 or have to, or, you know, there's this other picture um, of like the little Lulu character um, holding, you know, like plates, like trays of food, like a waitress, but kind of dancing with ballerina shoes. And that's because my sister said at one point when she was a little girl that she wanted to grow up to be a ballerina waitress. <laughs> so, um, so these are the kinds of, you know, these images and ideas that she was working through with these. And then, um, or there's another one of, of the little Lulu character pushing a shopping cart with a bunch of male heads in it, like various male heads floating around and piled in the shopping cart. And that was inspired by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles song, You Better Shop Around. You know, like oh, my mama yeah. told me, you know, you better shop around before you pick, you know, marry the right person or whatever. So um, <clears throat> those were, those were, um, I think the issues that kind of flow in and out of these these, these specific paintings. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a whimsy about it, definitely, and the use of bright colors. Very vibrant show. Um, and it. Yeah, I think I, it gave her a chance. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, um. In. The, the piece Losing Paradise specifically, it just like draws the audience in with the bright red. Um, if you wouldn't mind talking about that piece in particular, um, it is a triptych. It is a triptych piece. Um, and it's huge versus her smaller pieces. So if you have any insight on that piece in particular, I would love to hear it. Yeah, well, that piece, like, I don't think normally would be shown with the second childhood pieces, but thematically and, like, the colors you were talking about, like the bright reds and greens and yellows kind of fit the uh, the other stuff. And, and I think it's also just kind of about, you know, domesticity and gender roles and, you know, other social, um, you know, trappings maybe that we get into. So it is a triptych and it's kind of, you know, it's meant to be kind of like the Hieronymus Bosch triptych, right? Where one is like heaven, one is purgatory and one is hell or, um, you know, but it's also like calling back to Gauguin's paintings with these really kind of floral, idealized like people in their natural state kind of thing you know um but you know the 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 woman eve is sitting there knitting and adam is sitting there with a cup of coffee and uh you know and then in the next panel there's like this old vacuum cleaner with a long hose and nozzle next to you know a coiled up snake which um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not totally sure what that all means, but I do remember that we used to have a vacuum cleaner that looked kind of like that. Um, and you'll also see it's funny because that that kind of vacuum cleaner appears. It's not in the show, but there is this other second childhood painting where it's the little Lulu color using the vacuum cleaner to suck up dandelions outside. <laughs> um, and uh, and then the final panel of that is kind of more about. Um, the, the society, kind of the fall of society. I think you know, climate change, environmentalism, kind of issues, or and kind of personal confusion or schizophrenia. You know, kind of comes out kind of in a cartoonish way in the third panel of of Losing Paradise. But uh, yeah, it, it's a great painting, and and it's kind of more like her other work. You know, the second childhood stuff is almost like you know, its own thing. And then that, that piece is kind of a bridge to what she does with her other work. Like another example is, you know, she'll have, she's got this piece that I love just called Sobeys Island. And it's you kind of feel like the swampy wetland area of so- Sobeys Island, but then like right in the middle of it is 
this black asphalt road, you know, with the traffic stripes on it running right mm-hmm. through the middle of it. And that's a triptych too, right? So, um, mm-hmm. so that one is, that one is, you know, more related to some of her other works, but it definitely like color, texture, kind of cartoony theme, um, is definitely related to the other stuff at the National Show. You are listening to KBOO Portland. I am guest host Kristen Derryberry with Art Focus. This week we are talking with Lev Anderson with National's newest show, Who Am I Anyway? The works of Corolla Penn. The show is up now at National until March 31st. I would also, the pieces that I really enjoyed as an ex-painter and now video artist um, are the Van Gogh pieces. Pieces that are in the show are so iconically Van Gogh. And if someone has any idea of like art history, they have a reference that even if they don't know it's specifically Van Gogh they're like wait I've seen this before and it's her own rendition of it and it just like made me delighted in a way and also it made me wonder what is her connection to Van Gogh specifically um so if you want to just talk about those pieces too that would be wonderful yeah, you know, I you know I, I wish I knew more specifically why she did those um, pieces, but I know she liked Van Gogh because I know we've got a lot of Van Gogh books at home, and I think you know just his kind of painterly style, just those those brush strokes that he does, you know, the colors, um, kind of you know how these things all kind of have an animism to them, you know, like the bed kind of looks alive mm-hmm. almost the sunflowers look kind of otherworldly in a way um so yeah i mean they're definitely you know kind of an homage to van gogh and then she places the little lulu character in these paintings which you know i think it's just to kind of identify as a kindred spirit in a way um you know i think uh you know that was probably one of the first artists that she was really um, drawn to when she was younger and uh, that influence stuck with her and I think this was just kind of a way to kind of cozy up with Van Gogh and, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know kind of relate to him in a way I'm, you also talked about these but the untitled which takes up the whole other space um, I would like for us to talk about those in spe- like more specifically um, if you wanted to talk about ones that you haven't mentioned before. Also, her use of unconventional media, such as glitter, I've noticed, and mm-hmm. um, little embellishments on the painting, too, mm-hmm. um, if you yeah. have any insight. Yeah, I mean, she was really kind of a master of her medium. I mean, she painted primarily with acrylics, but she would mix in all kinds of gels and she would mix in like sawdust or tissue paper. I've seen like tin foil, you know, in her work and the glitter, I think, you know, kind of fits around that sort of, you know, the, I think the mermaid has like glitter, um, like a glitter bra or something, you know, just to kind of like <laughs> yeah. make even that more sexy mermaid, even more alluring or something. I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, the fairy godmother looks like she's kind of like, you know, toss, tossing up glitter or magic dust in the air. And um, I, I think, you know, some of these paintings are just kind of about these kind of mythologies that we have that and how they can kind of relate to our childhood ideas of like people in our families, like mother figures or, or um, you know, young women or something. I'm not really sure. Like, um, but uh, I know that these mythologies you know it's kind of like this magical thinking that that will you know resonate with you know your inner development as a child I mean I'm not really sure you know like yeah I mean that's how she would describe I mean I remember her one time kind of describing um you know she had this artist statement for one of the uh for I don't know some grant she was proposing that I was helping her edit the artist statement and she she said what did she say she said like um about these second childhood paintings that she had this 
secret knowledge she gleaned from making mud pies and making sandcastles. So I think, you know, kind of working with the materials. Yeah, and, that and, makes sense. You know, kind of in this like way of like, oh, I'm not necessarily making an art piece, but I'm making an expression of something with this stuff that I have around me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so she was very much about the materials um, and, and just kind of found these playful ways to introduce them, you know, the glitter and everything else in a way that's not like, cheesy or or you know out of left field necessarily yeah it's a it's a reference point to childhood but it doesn't come off as juvenile if that makes sense um, yeah right they're yeah dreamy. Like, they're kind of dreamy they're kind of you know they're also kind of they also kind of remind me of my sister she's kind of an artist herself and you know i remember her always like drawing these like fictional soap opera characters you know like Blanche Dubois and <laughs> and kind of done in these same ways like you know fancy frilly dresses and stuff and I wouldn't be surprised if that even influenced my mom too because I know there were a couple other paintings she did that was influenced by things that I did artistically you know as a kid yeah, so. yeah that's yeah and then that there are three other pieces that are in the front front, if I'm correct, over the desk. Um, and I don't remember what those were. Do you remember what those were? Um, well, one of the, one of them is the shop around one with the shopping okay. cart. And then okay. maybe the other one that might be the little Lulu character getting a haircut at a barber shop and <laughs> neither her or the barber look very happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> painting, you know, or then there might be also the one with the shopping cart with all, like, the toilet paper and everything piled up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of my mom's paintings, you know, not just these second childhood paintings, but a lot of the other ones incorporate shopping carts as this, you know, symbol for, I think, consumerism and, and, and whatnot, but um, and then there's also the, the other curious one that, that I hadn't seen, honestly, until we were looking through paintings with May, um, you know, because my mom would go to the studio every day, and then we just kind of kept it locked up to store her work and mm-hmm. show work and stuff, and she's got paintings all over the place, but this one, there was this other one found of this, it's, you know, it's like a woman posing nude for, like, an art class, you know, with oh, a, yeah. and you see all these men behind their canvas is looking at this woman naked and you know I mean it's it's a funny piece to include in the show but it's also you know I think still part of this idea of the feminine and and then also you know uh, in art too how women have been depicted in art as well I imagine I'm not you know I don't know that piece is pretty deep for me because you know you talk about the female gaze she's looking away from the audience and the male is looking so it's like the male gaze is literally looking at the audience but it's also like a practice that artists go through is like nude modeling figure drawing and um mm-hmm. also this the work of art you you feel vulnerable you feel naked and so right. I, I feel like that piece in particular hits that vein and in multiple veins in one piece which is really powerful um, yeah one small just... kind of roughly done piece that's kind of amazing right <laughs> yeah yeah and you want to think that you know just first glance you're like oh okay it's that but what is it about and she her pieces I think invite that like what story are you going to tell yourself and what are the stories of these paintings? Where did they come from? Who made them? And that's exciting. And it's something that we don't see often in shows anymore is that curiosity. Um, and to invite the viewer in to make these stories for themselves. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, you know, that, that whole audience feedback thing was, actually really big with my mom she she really liked to engage the audience in fact there was this 
she used to have a studio over on Mississippi. Um, in fact, it was where um, Mississippi Records used to be, that same space. And um, and now I think it's Warren Path or something. But she used to keep her studio open. And this is this is like in the early, I mean, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago when that neighborhood was a bit, quite a bit different. And there really wasn't much on that neighborhood at all, except for the market down the street. And, um, um, or at least, you know, businesses were boarded up. There was plenty going on in the neighborhood. But she would let these neighborhood uh, kids come in. And one time a friend of mine was at the studio. This is when I was in junior high school. And I had left to go down to the store to get soda or something. Mm-hmm. He, was at the studio, he was at the studio with my mom. And he said he got freaked out because he saw this big old dude coming up with this kind of very serious look on his face. And, and he came up to the studio door and he just started yelling. He's like, I'm going to tell you about this painting. You know, my mom had like a painting hanging up in the door, you know, in the, or in the window, you know. And he's like, and he's like, I said, I walk by this painting all the time. And, you know, he went into this whole thing about what this painting meant to him. And my mom, I, wow. this is what this is what my friend told me. I ran into him recently, and he had told me the story. And I was like, "Oh my God, she would love that!" You know, yeah. kind of her thing to hear what other people thought of her painting. She was never really, you know, she she had plenty of meat and content and and of enough of an intellectual thrust around her work, but she was never into like you know bossing the audience around necessarily. She. She wanted to leave room for, you know, a playful kind of interaction with the audience to kind of glean out what they get, you know. So it wasn't just about her. And I think that was kind of a big thing for her, um, for her practice overall. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Um, before we end, I would like to briefly talk about the show that's coming up um, at Stumptown. Um, if you have anything to say about that, if people are able to go out with caution. Um, with caution, with, yeah. Yeah, and um, what they can expect for that show. Yeah, well, that show is going to be really different, but it'll be, it, it's kind of interesting to kind of see some of the the connections. And interestingly enough, that show is also curated by May. And so here she was, the same curator, picking out like this totally different kind of body of work. And then so what's at Stumptown is mostly from that period when she was on Mississippi Street. And in fact, there was, you know, a painting called North Mississippi on that in that show. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like a street view of Mississippi and it looks like a dead zone, right? There's nothing going on. Um, But uh, they're very fragmentary. Like she at one point just it didn't like the idea of like working a square or rectangular canvas. And so that's when she first started painting on wood and she would cut up pieces and put them, you know, on panels and kind of collage them together and change them and switch out different panels to with different pieces to kind of give them different meanings. And, um, you know, it was really kind of radical work and, you know, it's kind of hard to hang you know, because yeah, these yeah. kind of uh, wood collage pieces that are very irregular shaped. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but that's what that show is, and, and it's very fragmentary. And I, I think, you know, my mom, she never, you know, she, she kind of thought in the fragments. You know, she never had this kind of unified vision for things, but everything was kind of fragmentary, and that show really kind of reflects that. And... and um, it's a, it's a little darker in tone. I hope it's not too depressing for <laughs> the Stumptown employees during oh. the coronavirus yeah. outbreak. But, but they're, yeah. they're also kind of beautiful, too. And there's, like, one of our absolute family favorite paintings. It's called, um, oh, God, what is it called? But it's it's a triptych also. And one panel is very much like a Gauguin painting of, like, Haitian women or something, you know, like that kind of style, like the mm-hmm. Paradise piece at Nationale. Um, but then there's a chain-link fence, and then the other panel is just, like, giant dandelions, you know. Oh, but wow. it all works together in this kind of mysterious and magical way, you know. And, and uh, so that mm-hmm. piece is in the show, too. That's one of our favorites. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and discussing your mom's work and everything. Yeah, yeah. And if people are curious to see images, they can go to carolapen.com. So it's C-A-R-O-L-A-P-E-N-N.com. And um, I really appreciate you having us. It's fun to talk about my mom's work, and I hope people can make it. I know it's really hard, and I know there's truncated hours, but um, I know that May also wants to be sure that people get to see the work, so there'll be Mm -hmm. some opportunities. Yeah, we need art in times like this, so we appreciate it. Um, Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, thank you so much. Andy Warhol looks a scream And him on my wall Andy Warhol, silver scream Can't tell them apart at all And you are listening to KBOO Portland the time is 6:29. Coming up in just a few seconds here is Stage and Studio, a show that you're used to hearing in the AM, but we are broadcasting it in the nighttime because, you know, that's that's what we're doing around KBOO these days. We're we're kind of winging it a little bit and we really appreciate our programmers for winging it with us. That last interview you heard was recorded remotely because as you know, our station is shut down partially right now. No volunteers are in the station, so we want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to all of our programmers who are taking the time to suddenly figure out how you they still do their radio shows to bring you all that programming that you love that is so important for our community especially right now it's so good to be talking about art to be talking about what's out there and coming up next we have stage and studio with dma roberts who will be speaking to michelle fuji from unit sozo as well as talking about other issues that are going around this week like covid19 and the close closing of theaters around town and um, the impact that's having on many many artists so that's coming up after this quick message KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO member listeners and support from PDX Pendables. Stage and Studio Supplies. PDX Pendables sells and rents to film and theater production from gels and globes to paint and lights featuring the latest airy LED lighting. More information available at 503-887-5880 and pdxpendables.com. And now, Stage and Studio. I'm Dime Roberts, Stage and Studio. We're listening to music by Unit Sozo. It's been a hard week for the Portland performing arts community. So much of our work is dependent on audience members attending. Unit Sozo's founders, Michelle Fuji and Toto Watanabe, had a weekend concert planned with two other respected Asian American artists, violinist Joe Kai and Horatio Law, installation artist. But after Governor Kate Brown's announcement regarding the coronavirus guidelines on March 12th about closing events and gatherings, it got all artists thinking about whether to go on with the show or opt for health. More recent national guidelines advise closing all gatherings of 10 people or more. In personal news, the show I spent several months directing, The Journal of Ben Uchida, closed suddenly in the middle of our four-week run. Oregon Children's Theater took a hard loss in closing the show, but honored all payments to actors, stage management, and venue rental. But it was a tough decision financially. Unit Sozo also had to make a decision. Should they continue? What they decided was to turn their three-performance show into one performance, which they would stream on Livestream.com. It would be free or with donations. We'll hear about their show, which in these times is appropriately called Otherness Togetherness. Stay tuned. This is Stage and Studio. With me right now via Skype is Michelle Fuji of Unit Sozo. Hey, 
Michelle, welcome, sort of. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we're dealing with a really hard time right now, so um, I'm trying to Skype thing for the show today, and I appreciate you taking the time. I guess what are, where I want to start is uh, um, you are presenting Otherness, Cohen, Togetherness, and that was set to happen this weekend, and with all the the coronavirus shutdowns, um, one of which my own show, Ben Uchida, was shut down at Oregon Children's Theater, and we're still kind of grieving over that. So many theaters are so hard hit, so many performing arts groups and venues are really uh, struggling right now with uh, cancellations and shutdowns, but you found a different way of dealing with this. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so in the midst of everything, because we literally are, you know, in the last stretch, ready to just talk about what's the schedule and we're going to see each other and we're going to meet up at the theater and um, load in then all of the news uh, continued to happen and it really felt like it was unfolding on an hourly basis and it became uh, pretty apparent that on both sides uh, people had, who had purchased tickets uh, to our show were just like are you still going to do this um, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be coming even from some of our performers and artists, just some trepidation of um, being in this uh, sort of live gathering uh, situation as things are unfolding. And so collecting all of that, and just uh, someone had thrown out the idea, why don't we live stream? Um, and it's one of those moments where it's like all this stuff is happening and um, we just said, why not? You know, we still would be able to um, have the ability to present the show. Of course, there'll be some modifications because uh, live streaming is different um, than being able to be live. But um, but one of the things that became the dedication was um, specifically the topic of our show of otherness and togetherness and how othering is happening specifically right now with this coronavirus um, in the API communities and uh, just heartbreaking news of everyday incidences that are happening to our API community and to Asians um, of being accosted or yelled at. Um, and it's just a current view of um, sometimes the, the way that we're dealing with each other. So um, with that, it just felt like it was important to do the show somehow, um, but find another way to do it. Well, I appreciate you taking on the theme of um, what's happening with yellow peril, which is, you know, the old phrase for fear of Asians from long, long time ago into current times right now with the COVID and coronavirus. Uh, people are actually being assaulted and attacked, and I believe one man was stabbed in, in New York City. So it's not, you know, it's not a whimsical way to deal with this. I think that it's very direct what you're trying to bring together, even in your title, Otherness and Togetherness. So I appreciate you wanting to go on, <laughs> but it really is hard for a performing arts group, you know, right now, and everyone is struggling, and I, I, I want to tell you, you know, just be safe, right? So what you're doing is making it available for people uh, to see your art, and still be safe. It's and and it's interesting because then when diving into this, um, and full disclaimer, very very new, um, opportunity of live streaming. So there will be some learning curve to this for us. Um, I just started actually getting excited about what uh, this could be, um, which is shifting the program, um, allowing uh, some fluidity to. Think about what does it mean to see the program through a lens? Um, what are the perspectives that we want the camera to be able to um, look at? And um, almost pre-deciding, <laughs> you know, what those angles will be, but um, how that could actually create some unique ways of staging and um, presentation. So we're looking at one date this weekend? Yeah, we... Um, uh, consolidated into one um, partly because once we live stream then it the 
that recording would be available for anyone at any time. So is that this Saturday then, March 21st? Yes. And at what time? 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific. So before we talk about how people can actually live stream, let's talk about what you're going to be performing because you're working with two other artists. Unit Sozo is a performing taiko ensemble in Portland-based, and we've talked with you through the years as you've developed this company. Um, But tell us what you're going to do, and then your collaborators are also two great um, Asian arts performers or artists, um, Joe Kai and Horatio Law. So tell us what you're going to be doing all together in this otherness, Cohen togetherness. Yeah, one of the reasons why we were excited to work uh, with both Joe Kai and Horatio Law is because we've not only admired their work, um, but also because their work has spoken towards uh, the places Unit Sozo also is really um, exploring and expressing. Um, there, lots of their work talks about displacement, otherness, home, identity. Um, those are steeped in not only uh, universal themes for Unit Sozo, but also specifically uh, for this project on otherness. And um, I think each one of us has gone on our own personal journeys of how we go through our medium and our art form to talk about these things and dissect it being Asian in America. And for one thing is that that was an important aspect is for us all to represent that journey authentically. So there will be some existing works that are melding with this topic of otherness togetherness but also we've been working uh together for uh the past year on a on this otherness project and um uh horatio is creating these installation pieces that we're going to be interacting with in some of our uh taiko presentation uh joe has um created some audio collages of interviews that we've had within multiple communities um, talking about otherness and uh, identity. So that's going to be woven into um, sort of a very multidisciplinary uh, representation. A lot of our work at, in Unit Solzo is that, you know, uh, combining the sound and movement alongside with uh, narratives um, and so it'll just be sort of expanded with uh, Horatio and Joe's voice as well. Well, that all does sound very exciting. And I'm, I, I think that it's something worth watching, you know, as a live stream. Uh, and uh, if you just joined us, I'm Dime Roberts talking with Michelle Fuji, who is the co-founder, along with Toru Watanabe, of Unit Sozo. Uh, they're committed to devising contemporary relevant performance works. Um, through Taiko as a uh, as a performance, and so um, they're bringing together a piece that's called Otherness Togetherness with Horatio Law and Joe Kai, two other great Asian American artists in Portland, and they're going to be presenting a live stream of their their show this Saturday, March twenty first at seven p.m. And I guess, uh, Michelle, what are the details on how you would see the, the live stream? Yeah, we have set up um, through livestream.com, the, um, their platform. And so simply, uh, you can uh, go to this link, livestream.com slash unit slash togetherness. Um, and there it'll direct you to uh, sort of being able to be notified and uh, from there, we'll be streaming live on, on that uh, platform. Was it hard to set up? Yeah, well, it was sort of a learning curve to sort of see all of the different options um, and also finding the one that could work with um, where we are at right now, um, which is just starting out with learning. So it, it was challenging to, to sort through all the different sorts of options, um, but I felt like this one had the most user-friendly um, starting point for us. And um, I'm also excited because it acknowledges the option um, to recognize 
even though it is going to be a completely free access uh, for anyone who would like to uh, watch the live stream, we want more people to be able to access it as possible. But there is a, um, the option if you are interested to donate um, for the performance that you're witnessing. And that was really great that they had that uh, embedded. Oh, so people can uh, go to that livestream.com slash unit sozo, and sozo is spelled S-O-U-Z-O-U and slash togetherness, and so there'll be like a payment option there for donations? Exactly. It's just, it's appreciated or encouraged, but not required. Well, that's so, I I don't know, That's, that's very loving what you just said, you know, because we are in a tough time, and people are going to be hurting if they can't get to work and there's just all kinds of issues you know some people have lost their jobs especially in the arts community right now um and uh i i I also want to mention some of that later on after our interview but it just seems like this is a great way to fulfill your theme um through this live stream thank you yeah i'm feeling really deeply passionate and committed um just witnessing the news every day and just in my heart it was like we can't not do this show it was just how could we do it in a safe way so I'm so excited that we uh, landed upon live streaming so uh, I also love how pan-asian it is because you're representing you know Japanese Chinese and Korean all all together you know and people don't realize that that's kind of a um, a cool thing, you know, that there's an assumption that uh, Asians are monolithic, right? Yep. I I agree. It's sort of one of those nuanced uh, sort of subtle things um, because historically uh, we look at some of those long agos and um, some of these countries did not get along. Um, and, and so we sometimes forget uh, how those are carried on genera- generationally. Um, and so it does mean a lot to us that we are representing multi uh, cultures within the Asian community. So some of the themes too in this um, are uh, your new piece that you've uh, your new work, the constant state of otherness, and Horatio Law has uh, his uh, previous installation piece that I'm sure he's going to do some new things with called Tale of Two Ghettos, which is about the Chinatowns in Portland. There were two of them. And uh, what is Joe doing? Well, actually, Joe is very busy in this show. Um, He is um, going to be doing some of his own existing works um, on migrants and um, also Identity Home. But also he is going to be doing a lot of collaborative uh, improvisational work fusing within our um, live performance, the Tycho performance. Yeah, I love uh, Joe's way of uh, looping his violin uh, compositions. You know, um, they they tend to be new each time he does it. It is and mesmerizing and just like you just kind of get enveloped into all of that uh, lusciousness, I think. So super exciting. Is this going to be part of a larger work later on in the year? Um, yeah, some of the work that we are doing um, is in anticipation to do a full-length theatrical Tycho production. And so right now, this is some of... So it, it includes a multi-lenses of some of the work that we have been doing as well as um, newly developed Um but it is kind of a preview into our future of what we're hoping to be debuting later this year. Well, that also sounds fascinating too. And and speaking of a larger ensemble work, I understand that, um, you know, you've been pretty much on the phone and uh, on on email all week trying to make this whole thing work. And I really appreciate, you know, how hard it's been for everyone to, to, you know, to continue producing and, and having this live stream that you're about to have this weekend. But uh, you also um, are trying to figure out how to get people that are in your ensemble into the show too. Yeah. Um, So some of our ensemble members um, are from, we did a national audition for um, this project and uh, some of our ensemble members are actually based in California 
and with uh, the new conversation that that hasn't necessarily, but it's been the weekend, uh, so we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, there's new conversation about domestic travel bans, um, and so that is going to greatly impact uh, whether or not we're going to have our full ensemble or not next Saturday. So we will see what happens. Um, also, one of our ensemble members, um, their employers was putting restrictions on um, not traveling domestically to high risk areas and Washington as it is at the top of the list but Portland is certainly a little bit too close so by being their neighbor um, we have now been included into the high risk um, zone um, full not fully de defin defined yet for that um, ensemble member but we definitely don't want him to lose his job so we are going to just be mindful of that and keep making adjustments throughout this next week well knowing you know having worked with both you and Toto I know that you two alone make a full performance as far as I'm concerned you know <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's true. You have such passion in your in your taiko work and also the music, you know, that you bring to it through singing like Toru does and your movement through dance. Um, it's all beautiful work to watch. So I'm sure whatever you live stream will end up being pretty fabulous. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know it's all... Um, fluid as I say one thing about the show you know with all the new factors I think we all are learning how to um, how to be ready how to be fluid how to flow so that's sort of our um, theme for this next week coming into the um, show on Saturday and maybe you're creating a new model by doing this too because I I wish that we could have been able to stream you know, um, a performance of Benuchita is the last show. It just sort of ended really abruptly, and it was it was a hard one for everyone. You know that you put all this work into it, months and months and months of work, and then have it just be canceled before you know you get to finish it. So I wish we could have because of rights issues we couldn't. But I'm so glad that you can figure this out, and maybe you might be able to help others to be able to continue their work. I know that's actually been an interesting conversation. Um, I actually have been invited to be a part of a panel even next week um, before the show um, of how people are dealing with uh, being in crisis um, and what are new models uh, for um, what can be done. And it's been an interesting conversation as we're just sort of going one step at a time on how to do this live stream. We're also having conversations on how this can be a potential opportunity of readiness and and that it could honestly be a new normal of what we are going to be thinking of connection well uh what is that panel you want to tell us more about that yeah so this uh panel is uh specifically about the coronavirus and how um taiko or taiko groups ensembles um, organizations are dealing with um uh the new changes and um, so on Wednesday, 5 o'clock p.m., we are offering, well, I guess a webinar, that's the word, a webinar um, that's going to talk about how this has impacted specifically the North American Taiko community. Is it just for specific people or is this open to people who sign up for it? It is completely open to anyone. Um, and so you could go to Taiko Community Alliance or women and taiko um, both of those are the co-hosts of this and if you just want to hear how people are dealing with um the coronavirus as as arts uh you know being in the arts community uh this could be it doesn't matter whether or not you play taiko or not no i think this affects everybody who is a performing artist at this point yeah and I also think that it's good that you are connecting it, too, with um, a lot of the uh, racism that has occurred. You know, there's a there's a need in any kind of crisis to target people. I don't think that it's a good need, you know, but it seems like that you're bringing attention to that. Um, certainly, this is being reported every single day all over the country 
that there is somebody who is being targeted or assaulted with racism or actual physical assaults because of being blamed, you know, for this horrific thing that we're going through. Yep. I, it's disheartening. Um, and it's just sad to see the, how quickly our communities, our people are responding in that way. And in regards to this show and why we were just trying to find a way, it wasn't whether or not we were going to do it or not. It was just how, because it just feels like this show, even though it's, you know, a small live stream or a small organization, but it's just a fractal tiny example to pre to provide a counter narrative to what is happening right now. And to have people remember that we need to be humane and that we are human and we have been part of, of these histories and communities um, and part of where we're living right now. So please to remember empathy versus hatred or um, going to those places of othering. Well, Michelle Fuji of Unit Sozo, um, I commend you for these efforts and how hard it's been to pull this together. Otherness Togetherness is this Saturday, March 21st at 7 p.m. as a live stream. And you can go to livestream.com slash unit sozo, S-O-U-Z-O-U slash togetherness. And uh, um, how long is the live stream? Yeah, we wanted to recognize um, sort of attention spans. Um, so we are thinking that it will be about a 50-minute program, and after that 50-minute program, we're going to transition into an artist lounge conversation. Um, that'll make more sense when you see the show. Uh, okay. That will include some of Horatio's uh, artistic um, installation, and we are um, going to talk for about 20 minutes afterwards just about the impact of what's happening now, as well as some insights into the work that we presented. Well, it sounds fascinating and uh, makes for a good evening. <laughs> if you can't be there in person, you know, next best. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to put all of this on stageandstudio.org and kboo.fm slash stageandstudio. Michelle Fuji, uh, you know, see you on TV, I guess, <laughs> or, on, or on a computer, <laughs> however it works. <laughs> you take care. Okay, thank you. That was Michelle Fuji of Unit Sozo. You can tune into their stream broadcast this Saturday, March 21st at 7 p.m. on livestream.com. Before we go, Passan Art Theater announced on March 16th that Seven Guitars by August Wilson has been canceled. You can find out more and uh, ways to support them at passanart.org. And Corrib Theater has canceled their production of Kissing the Witch, and you can find out more about that at coribtheater.org. Other theaters are postponing shows through March and early April. I suggest going online if you have tickets to make sure they are still happening or not. I want to take a moment to ask audience members who have bought tickets for canceled performances to please consider that a donation. It is going to be a devastating time for arts organizations amid this health crisis. So please support our local arts groups and our local artists because many will be hurting, not just as organizations, but as individual artists who have lost work. That's it for Stage and Studio. You can hear the show again on stageandstudio.org or kboo.fm slash stageandstudio. And uh, keep up with the news on facebook.com slash stage, the letter N studio. Till next time, I'm Dime Roberts. And here's more music by Unit Sozo. You are listening to KBOO Portland. The time is 6.58 right now. How you doing? Is everyone doing okay? That's right. We're coming up on the 7 o'clock hour. And just for you, calculated conversation. And, you know, as we've been letting people know that we are on day five of our COVID-19 partial station shutdown. So we always want to be given 
all the props and the thank you so much to all of our volunteer programmers who are producing their shows remotely from home. So many of our volunteers are doing this for the first time and we really appreciate all their efforts because, you know, they've all expressed how important you, our listening community, is and how much they want to be there for you right now during this difficult time. And so Calculated Conversations coming up right next after these messages from KBU. KBU is hiring a data coordinator. Our data coordinator supports KBU's fundraising activities by organizing donor information, tabulating contributions and campaign totals, and maintains KBU's database. Experience working with Donor Perfect Preferred. The deadline to apply is Tuesday, March 24, 2020. For a full job description and more information on how to apply, see our website at kboo.fm employment. KBU is an equal opportunity and affirmative action employer. Come join in the conversation with ML Laurie on our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? A conversation about our human experience, our human condition, and the obstacles that we all have to happiness. This March episode is a conversation with Carrie about is there a better way? Is there a better way to have more happiness in our lives? So go to kboo.fm slash what the hell, or you can go to www.kboo.fm audio podcast and what the hell is going on. Kibu Community Radio is currently closed to all in-station volunteer and visitor activity for the next 30 days due to the COVID-19 pandemic, effective March 13th. While our airwaves are still live, all in-station classes and meetings are canceled for this month. KBU values the health and safety of our community and is taking operational precautions to do our part. More information on KBU's efforts to combat COVID-19 can be found on our website at kboo.fm slash COVID-19. Stay tuned and let's stay connected. We are your community connection here on KBOO Portland. It's time for Calculated Conversation. Welcome back, welcome back. You got a calculated conversation.